Welcome to the Recruiting Stories Podcast, where we celebrate recruiting by exploring the stories of leaders and top performers by digging into their stories and understanding how recruiting has impacted their journey and their success. All right, welcome back to the Recruiting Stories Podcast, powered by Cover 3 Consulting. I'm your host, Adrian Chapman, and today our guest is Carrie Ballinger. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So Carrie is the Vice President of Sales National Accounts for Need It Now. Carrie, would you mind just giving us a little bit of a background of who you are and you know where you come from in the transportation industry and, and prior to that? Sure. It's kind of an interesting story how I got here. I started in recruiting many years ago and I loved recruiting. I loved finding people jobs. It was very fulfilling, um, but I traveled a lot. I, I staffed um, clerical people, um, managers, and then I got into healthcare recruiting. So I staffed a lot of nurses, and then they gave me a couple districts. Got divorced, and I couldn't travel anymore. I had a, I had a small child, so I actually got into um, home building for a very brief period of time. And I was a project manager, so I was meeting with architects about putting uh, footings in foundations, which I had no idea what I was talking about. But I muddled through that, and as I was doing that, I met my husband, who owned a very small delivery company here in St. Louis. And we started, you know, talking and this and that, and it went relatively quickly. We ended up getting married, and I said, "Well, you know, if I'm going to run a business, why don't, we, why don't I run yours?" And he said, "Okay." And he worked out of his house. They had one account. Him and um, a partner. They had one account, um, not very big, but it, you know, it provided a lot of um, a lot of money for them. It just one account, put all your eggs in one basket, kind of thing. So. I said, can I be the boss? And they said, yeah. And so I said, all right, let's get some warehouses. Let's make a go of it. So we did. And we got a couple of warehouses and then we got a couple more and we branched out into the Midwest and then we branched out and got some um, agents across the country. And that's the story of how I got into transportation and home delivery in a nutshell. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, did you focus on any specific type of movement or fulfillment or product? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, when we well, when we first when I first got in it, I didn't know what I was doing at all. My husband, they ran off a customer's dock. They didn't have any warehouses. So, you know, my first thing is let's get a warehouse. And we got a we got a relatively small warehouse at first. We got about 15,000 square feet. And I thought, well, this is going to be great. You know, we'll get an account, you know, a couple of counts and we'll just get some trucks and run it out of it. So I started talking to companies about receiving the product in and doing the final mile. So we focused on the final mile because that's what we did off the customer dock. Um, We filled up the warehouse in three months with final mile customers and the need for it in St. Louis was really, really strong. So the sales component of it wasn't very difficult. Um, I'm always just somebody that'll get on the phone and call people and say, hey, who delivers your stuff in St. Louis? Can I do it for you? So we focused on that final mile piece of it. Um, and we focused on big and bulky. So that's what they did. So that's what I did. Focused on furniture, appliances, cabinets, anything that took two men. That's really cool. I want yeah. to loop back and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit, just kind of how that grew and then um, you know how you exited that and, and, and sure. uh, how you got to where you are today. Talk to me about the recruiting side, right? So you placed a variety of different roles, healthcare, clerical, different things like that, you know, was that for staffing agency? And did that, do you feel like that prepared you for your next season of life when it came to your career? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. um, Actually, I do think that being in staffing was a good segue into logistics because 
so I did a lot of different things in staffing. I, I was a direct hire recruiter. So I would I would find you and I would find you a job and I would get a fee, kind of like what you do, um, exactly like what you do. Um, and then I did temporary staffing. So I'd have an on-premise account where people needed 30 people to run the line today. And then the next day they'd need 10 people. So, you know, I would I would supplement their staffing with contingent workforce so they can ebb and flow as their business needed it. And I think that that really is an easy transition into logistics because if you're running a warehouse, you know, you have peak season, that's very, very busy and you need more people than you need whenever it's slow season and you have to keep everybody busy or you're going to lose their staff or you lose your staff. So I think there's there's a lot of parallels between the two. So I think it, it prepared me nicely to understand the ebbs and flows of the logistics industry during peak and non-peak seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like just it, at least from having been in transportation and in staff, the dealing with, I feel like just constant change and communicating between multiple parties. Um, yep. You can't do that. Transportation is probably not for you. Recruiting is yeah. not for you, right? Um, you got to stand in the middle and you got to be able to hold up both both ends for things to work well. So uh, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Talk to me about just final mile and kind of how that's progressed over the past decade. I, I assume it probably looks a little bit different today than it did 10 years ago. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it really does. You know, back in the day when I first started, customers, retailers just wanted to get their product delivered. You know, there wasn't KPIs and on-time metrics and performance and, you know, just here's my stuff, get it delivered. There was no mile, you know, visibility, there were no visibility milestones where they had to know where everything was every second of every day. As a matter of fact, when we very first started, we routed everything manually. So we would get a stack of orders and I would have two people and myself and we would sit there and we memorized every zip code in St. Louis and in the areas and we would route them like this and then we would fine route them so then we'd take that stack and we would route them like this and that would be the routes we would handwrite all the manifest back in the day you know fast forward to today we have routing software we have complete visibility we have electronic capturing of, of uh signatures and pictures and and that's really what has to happen to be competitive in today's market. You can't be a mom and pop shop in home delivery and not be able to provide those things or you'll just, you'll, you won't survive. So a ton of things have changed. What hasn't changed, in my opinion, is you still are going to need two people to deliver big and bulky and they have to know what they're doing. You cannot just throw two guys off the street and give them, you know, put stuff in the back of an El Camino and go deliver it. You have to know what you're doing. You have to know the angles to get up to the third floor in Chicago. Um, so that piece of it hasn't changed, but everything else definitely has. Yeah. And and if I remember right, a lot of your background with the company that you ended up selling was furniture home delivery, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of 90% furniture. We did a lot of cabinets as well. Um, then we we did get into like some exercise equipment and some appliances, but the most the prim- the majority of it was was furniture, yeah. Furniture. And, and it it makes sense that people need someone who can white glove and install and do different things like that. What challenges do you face there? Because I feel like you know, with transportation, you think of the full truckload, you think of LTL, you think of mm-hmm. you know international and and getting a big box moved from one place to another. It's certainly there are complications or across the border, right? But then Getting it across the threshold in a in a home or a business with, you know, and then having something in that's a whole different animal. What, mm-hmm. what challenges do people not think about when it comes to that type of shipping? Yeah, I think that um, 
at the end of the day, it's really the last 10 minutes of the delivery. You know, the customer, the end user isn't seeing the first mile, the middle mile. They're seeing that final mile. So you're really an extension of the retailer. And it's an intimate thing to go into somebody's house and deliver their bedroom set. So you have to, you know, you have to really train the guys or gals that are going into the home to make sure that they're treating the house like they should. And I think the biggest challenge that I had doing that was making sure my guys in the field understood that, you know, understood they're delivering it to a grandma or, you know, they're delivering to somebody's mom and a woman that might be home alone. And, you know, it can be a a dicey situation if they don't come off as true professionals. So that would be my biggest thing that I always would worry about is how can I constantly train my guys in the field to make sure that the customer that they were going into their house, that they felt at ease with the guys in the house, because it could be a little, you know, if you're a single gal, it can be a little bit scary with two random guys coming in your house. And just thinking out loud, like, you know, um, could be an opportunity to to win or lose, right? They're right there at the end on that delivery. And even if the delivery was late or had challenges or anything, but if it was done really well at the end, mm-hmm. customer service, uh, that experience could could make up for everything else, I feel like. And um, you could you could win in a big, big way because it's face-to-face. It's so personal mm-hmm. when somebody's bringing something into your home. So that's uh, that's great. Good. Yeah, for sure. And we did a lot of, you know, we did a lot of training with the drivers just to, you know, remind them what they can't say. Like, you'd be surprised if, you know, you just made a flippant comment with like, oh, that's a really nice piece of art. People don't like that. You know, they don't yeah. like they don't like you commenting on their house. That means you're looking around. And so yeah, you have yeah. to just maintain the utmost professionalism at all time. And that's really what we tried to drive home to our teams. Mm, that's good. Talk to me about how, you know, at some point you ended up uh, selling um, yeah. your business, right? Yeah. Was that, uh, you know, was that a plan all along or was that like, hey, at some point we just realized, hey, I think it's time or we had an opportunity and were approached by someone. What was that process like for you? Well, like I said, when I when I got into it, I said, can I be the boss? And my husband and his partner said, yeah. And we had a really good run for about 10 years. And looking back, we were really good at it. And you don't, you don't really know how good you are. My team was at doing this until we got out of it and I started looking at other companies. But um, about 10 years in, we kind of had a not a falling out, but we came to start as we grew. We disagreed with our with our partner on how to grow the business. So we ended up buying him out. My husband and I bought him out probably two years before we sold Um, because we had talked about selling it, but, you know, valuating a company, he he had different ideas than I had. And we just couldn't get on the same page, even with what he thought we should sell it for. So we ended up buying him out. That wasn't pleasant, but it happened. And then we forged ahead for a couple of years and I wasn't really looking to sell it at that time, but I was on the phone with somebody who with, with somebody who worked at, at Nita Now who purchased it. And they um said, you know, they wanted me to be an agent. And I so I was talking through him and, and he said, why don't, why don't we just buy your company? And I just flippantly said, Well, everything's for sale. And then it just started started a process. And you know, I really, really liked all the people at Need It Now. I thought they were great. I thought they were smart. Um, it was a long process, but we got through it and we successfully ended up selling it. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah power of networking right and, and just being open to, to to have those conversations with other people sure. in the industry uh, i think that's yeah. uh, pretty cool now need it now tell me a little bit about need it now because it's pretty vast right you have a big network and isn't it a subsidiary of a bigger company as well or tell me a little bit about that yeah so need it now purchased my company right before COVID happened and then of course we went through all the COVID, and then in we're in 24 so 
in December of 22, Geodis, which is a company out of France, large freight forwarder purchased Need It Now. And we went through all of last year kind of just in a transition and, you know, kind of integrating and things like that. Um, and now we're eventually will be known as Geodis, but we are, you know, we are part of the Geodis team right now. And really what we can do is it, it's remarkable the services that we can provide for a retailer or a manufacturer or, you know, anybody that needs product moves. So we now can handle the ocean lanes. We can handle the ports. So we can handle the deconsolidation, consolidation work at the ports, the dray to get it into the warehouses. Uh, before we deconsolidate, we can handle the line hauls. We have a whole capacity solutions division that does all the full truckloads and the line hauls to the hubs. We have a network of hubs across the country. And then we have all the, obviously can do all the final mile. We can do store pool distribution, final mile into the customer home, direct to consumer. So really, once I get my teeth into a retailer, I just, I'm like, what do you need? You can have all of this. You can have part of this. I'm happy to develop a solution that fits what you need, but just talk to me about what your headaches are. And that's that's kind of the approach of how I spin it all to everybody. That's cool. Do you have, in what you do now, do you have like an, an ideal client size or type? Um. Yeah, I, so I can sell all of that. And my job is really to, I don't know everything about everything, obviously. My my wheelhouse is that final mile. So that's my favorite type of t- thing to sell. But my job is to bring everybody to the table if there's other solutions that need to be presented to the customer. So I do that. But when I'm just selling the stuff I want to sell before I open it up to other things, it's really the final mile piece of it. So we actually have a what's called a final mile complete distribution network. So I'll just give you a quick example. A couple of times a week, we go out to California, pick up some furniture from a retailer, and we bring it back, inject it into our network at one of our warehouses. So Indianapolis, or this one happens to go to Atlanta. We break it all apart, put it on trucks, move it to the hubs, and then deliver it. So that's kind of the thing I like to sell is that big and bulky furniture distribution. We can inject it anywhere in the country, and then we can deliver it into the consumer home. And the best part about it is when we move it, we move it in a full truckload environment. We don't send it LTL. LTL causes a lot of damages and and, um, that type of thing. We move it in a full truckload environment and it's always full. So it's going to reduce the the opportunity for damage and those types of things. So that's my favorite thing to sell currently. Do you have an outlook for what, what you think the year looks you know, like moving forward? I know there's obviously, there's been a, a lack of demand in the transportation market in general. Um, yeah. So sentiment seems to be down, you know, generally, but I think there's hope that between an election year and just maybe more consumer demand on the horizon data that shows otherwise, what are your thoughts there or anything? You know, I think everybody spent all their money on home improvement during COVID. (laughs) Obviously, everybody spent a lot of money and and the times are really good, you know, from that perspective. Obviously, there were supply chain issues, but from that perspective, um, from a final mile piece of it, but it has softened, obviously. And um, I think that, you know, it's just, it'll get back to the baseline that it was. And everybody's just going to have to work for it. You know, you might have to work a little bit harder. It's not easy to cherry pick right now. You have to prove your value to people because it's not as robust as it was, you know, where they needed us so much. So now we have to prove our value and and show that we can take care of them and really provide the service that they deserve, you know, moving their freight and getting into the customer home. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, the thing I, I feel like I've repeated to a lot of people is like, you know, not that I'm, yeah, I've been in transportation for a decade now, but like, not that I've been, you know, like some of these uh, folks who have been in for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. But the last few years seem incredibly volatile just from a demand standpoint. And so I feel like 
if you can, if you have weathered the storm in the past, you know, three, four, or five years here, chances are that you will do well in the future if you are stay consistent, you know, and 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 like you said, prove your value and you know, make sure you're doing a good job for your clients, you know, whatever that is. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because there have been some really good times in the last five years, and then it's been pretty lean. So if you can figure out how to adjust your business. I mean, going back to the staffing and the ebbs and flows of it all, you know, if you can figure out how to adjust your business and survive um, with those ebbs and flows, then you'll probably be in it for the long haul. Yeah. Let's talk back uh, a little bit more on recruiting, right? So you were a business owner for, well, in transportation for a decade, um, mm-hmm. of, of sales and uh, national accounts here now. Obviously, you've had to hire people uh, sure. doing that. Did you have a philosophy on on hiring then? And do you, I mean, is it the same now? How has it changed? Um, I think it's probably the same. I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily try to hire the smartest person. I'm not the smartest person. That's why I surround myself with people that are smarter than me, but nobody knows everything about everything. So I, I try to hire people that are intelligent, but more importantly, they are open to learn. They're teachable, they're coachable, and they have a some level of moxie or grit or a drive where they want to get things done. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, I've hired people that have no experience in transportation at all throughout the years. And I've taught them, I can teach them the process. I can teach them the technology to, to use as long as they have that drive and they want to do it. So that's been my philosophy. It's more about the person than making sure than making sure that they've done everything that I want them to do in the future. I can teach them that part. So it's more about the person. Yeah. You know, two things I heard you say there were just like, obviously like a, a natural internal drive and then two just teachability, right? And so mm-hmm. I think teachability also requires humility, right? And so when you see someone who is humble enough to learn and say, I don't know it all, to me, that's just always been a hallmark sign of like, great, we've got something we can work with. Even if you don't mm-hmm. know, you know, we can, we can get you in a position where you can, you can learn. So I, I love that. Do you have any stories from the youth, whether you, when you were in staffing or to now that was uh hey this was either an inspirational or just a funny story or anything like that from uh hey we hey, I made a, made a bad hire made a good hire you know this happened during an interview or anything like that well i will tell you i, I don't i'll just tell you a story so when i first <laughs> got into staffing i was 28 years old and um i i got hired by this phenomenal group of women at a company called Spirion and they just they were probably 40 and they just knew what they were doing and they were very very inspirational so we had this entire training of how to direct hire. I was hired as a direct hire recruiter. So I find people, I find them jobs, I make money. So we had this um, training and it said, you're supposed to do this every day, this every day, this every day, this every day. So I, by the book, did everything they told me. So one thing that we had to do was called a power hour. So every day for one hour, we would be on the phone making cold calls, trying to generate jobs for people, for candidates that we could fill. And I did this so much and so often. And the room would be so loud. I remember I would crawl under my desk because I would get somebody on the phone. And so I would be under my desk talking because it would be so loud in there. And some people wouldn't do power hours, some people would, but I would do it every day. And I called this one company so many times because I had a target list and I really wanted to get into this company. So I called him every week for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And one day, <laughs> one day he called my the the branch I worked at back and he asked, I guess, for the boss or whatever. And he gets her on the phone and he said, there's this gal, Carrie, she keeps calling us. Can you please tell her to stop calling us? And um, my boss was like, well, you can either be a recruiting source or you can be a customer. So pick which one you want to be. And she had my back and they never did give me any business. So I turned them into a recruiting source, but I was, I was gung-ho to get this company. And, um, and I didn't, but I recruited some people from them. 
That's awesome. <laughs> I that was appreciate kind of my that. style. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to be per, be persistent. You know, yeah. uh, if, if we're not going to recruit for you, we'll recruit from you. So, absolutely, right? Yeah, That's yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, I saw in your profile something, and, and feel if you don't want to share about it, that's that's more than fine. What is Chief? I saw Chief on your uh, profile. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Is that something that's your one? Yeah, so to- Chief, Chief is a networking group for women. So it's for VP women and above, and you have to be invited in and um, you can have your company sponsored. It could be self-funded or whatever. And it's a networking group for women. And it's really an opportunity to meet other people that are um, at the VP level level or above and really just share experiences about what it's like trying to climb a corporate ladder or get to the next level or you know, if you want to be educated on how to get to on, how to get on a board, or if you want to be educated on, you know, some more diversity training or things like that. So it's really just a resource of personal development. And I was invited to it, I guess, last year, maybe a little bit over a year ago, and I went ahead and joined it. And I really like it because you have a core, you have a core meeting once a month with the same, same group of people. And then you have a, like it's called like a guide um, so she basically brings topics and we all talk through them and they're not necessarily work related. Some yeah. of them are just, you know, you know, you, you, you're trying to, you're trying to juggle your kids and your husband and your job and be successful. And just to know that other women out there are doing the same thing. And, you know, you have a connection and you have a new, you know, you made a friend that is experienced the same thing you are and you have somebody to talk to. It's almost like a little bit of a therapy group as well. So um, I've enjoyed it and that's what it is. That's awesome. That's very good. But I appreciate that because I mean, uh, transportation, especially, I would say is is not necessarily a highly diverse uh, industry, as you know. Um, So I I think about something like that. And there's probably a giant opportunity for, uh, in my opinion, I think there is a giant opportunity for women in the transportation industry. And uh, you definitely have to band together. So uh, I think that's great. What advice would you have for a young, a young woman in the transportation industry, you know, looking to expand her career? I would say it's a little bit rough, you know, being being a woman in primarily a, a male-dominated industry. I've had people be not very nice to me because I am a female. So I would say stick to your guns, you know, just educate yourself, gain all the knowledge you can, and then stand firm in what you believe in. And, and you know, don't reduce your values or feel less than just because you're a woman. I can stand toe-to-toe with just about anybody. And, you know, there there have been times that I didn't want to speak my mind because I was intimidated when I was younger. And the older I get, that doesn't happen anymore. I know what I know. And I, you know, I'm passionate about what I do. I believe in it. I'm good at it. And I think that uh, that's what I would tell a younger person. Just be confident, learn as much as you can, and don't be afraid to ask questions and give yourself some grace. I cannot tell you how many times I've screwed things up and, you know, you just have to put your shoes back on the next day and keep going. That's good. Yeah. Competent creates confidence. uh, Yes. Yeah. uh, Big young ladies, especially put yourselves in those rooms and, and make some of those mistakes and, and you'll learn from them. Uh, so that's great. Great advice. That's awesome. Well, cool. Well, I've enjoyed talking with you, Carrie. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, got to know you a little bit over the last couple of last few years here. And, you know, think you're doing great things in the industry. When you look back on your career, you know, just life, I guess, is there any books that you've had? that have been, you know, that you would share uh, with, with, you know, the audience that have been helpful in your growth and your career path? 
Well, I mostly read fiction. <laughs> so I mostly read like, you know, Jack Carr, the terminal list and, uh, yeah. you know, NYPD Red series and stuff like that. But there's been a couple of books that I've read throughout the years. I've, you know, I've read a lot of books. Um, you know, one I read a long, long time ago back in staffing. It was called Managing from the Heart. I thought that was a great book. I don't know who read it, but it, it talks about you know, back then you didn't do it as much as you do now, you know, try to make sure your employees were very much taken care of. And that's what that was all about way back then. So, you know, it's probably people do it all the time now, but they didn't necessarily do it then. But I'll tell you the best book I ever read, Adrian, was called, um, it was written by Chef. It's not even a book. It's a lesson. It's Chef Hike, Hiking Lessons from a Cab Driver, something like okay. that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a real thin book. I actually bought it for every one of my employees at one point. Yep. It's a real thin book. And it's about this cab driver, Frank, that was a regular cabbie. He'd go pick up his dirty cab every day. He'd go get fares. He'd go get tips. He knew that if he gave, if he gave good customer service, he would get a tip. And then he learned um, that if he gave exceptional customer service, he would create a loyal customer that every time they came into town, they would call him and they would yeah. tip him twice as much. So he asked his cab company if he could take the cab home. He detailed it every day. He had bottles of water in it. Um, he had snacks for him, and he tell, it tells a story about how he really created a business with the same customers over and over. And I'm extremely passionate about customer service, um, yeah. and I don't know if that helped me get there, but I've always been like that, and I think it's a great story about how the difference between taking care of a customer and giving a customer exceptional service. So I would encourage anybody that has you know young customer service reps or anything like that to find that book, read it, and have a power hour of lunch, a lunch and learn with them or whatever. That's good. I love that. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. But I someone give me similar advice in the past couple of years here on the run cover three. But the kind of the example that they gave was like they asked me a question, you know, there are some restaurants that you go that you will go to or not go to based off of the service mm-hmm. that that is provided by the experience that you have. And I never really thought about it that way. But when I thought about it, I was like, Yeah, you're right. There's experiences that you're like, yeah, if I've had a bad experience. Uh, or it's did, dingy or not clean, well, I'm I'm not going to go back there. But if I had a great experience, then I'm going to go there every single time. I'll pay more or that. Yeah. So uh, that's great. Very cool. That's what I think. I think that, you know, people, it's so hard to earn money these days and everything costs so much money that if you're in the service industry at all, you know, it's your obligation to make sure that people have the very best experience possible when they're dealing with you. That's kind of the philosophy that I take into everything I do. That's good. What what advice would you give yourself, your 20-year-old self, if you're looking back on your career now? Oh, gosh. I would just say, if I knew then what I know now, like I would not let anybody, you know, I, I think most women have gone through people not being nice to them or just, you know, being mistreated. And I'm not trying to get into all of that, but, you know, being mistreated in a in a male-dominated world way back then. I'm 52. So I would just say, don't be intimidated. Go for it. Figure out what you want to do, figure out how to get there, use all the resources. Now you have the internet and I didn't have it back then. So, you know, do whatever you need to do to get where you want to be in life. Find yourself a trusted advisor, um, bounce ideas and, and go for it. And, and like I said before, I think it's very important that you give yourself some grace to make some mistakes along the way. That's good. I can echo that. You know, the internet is a fabulous resource. It's a fabulous distraction if you let it be as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, mentorship is a is a is a key as well. Find someone a little further down the road than you, 
Mm-hmm. See what you can do to help them, you know, take them to coffee now and then, you know, and if you can be a support to those people, it'll come back around uh, at some point in time that may be helpful for you too. So I, I love that. Well, Carrie, conversation has been awesome. If someone wants to get in contact with you, um, whether they just want to connect with you, you know, they want to ask you for advice, they want you to move all their products, what what should they do to get a hold of you? Well, first of all, you can look me up on LinkedIn. I post a couple times a day and I always post my phone number on there and my uh, email address. So I'm all over the internet like that. You can Google me. My uh, name is Carrie Ballinger and my personal email is Carrie at CarrieBallinger.com. So it'll be like that forever, even if I ever do decide to switch jobs, which isn't going to happen anytime soon. Um, But Or they can call me at 314-713-4703. And then I do want to say that um, for everybody who's listening, I've used Adrian in the past to fill positions for me. And Adrian, you've always done a great job, very responsive. So I would encourage anybody listening to give you a shot if they're um, looking for a recruiter. That means a lot. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you for joining us uh, again. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Recruiting Stories podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Check us out on LinkedIn, Adrian Chapman, and Cover 3 Consulting is our company page. Also check out our website, www.cov3consulting.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and we just simply want to remind you that you can change the world by putting people in a position where they can do the most good, and you do that by recruiting. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.